Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Well, thanks for worshiping uh, with us again at, at C2 as we celebrate the uh, lighting of the third Advent candle in this Advent season and we continue our series called String of Light. You know, Advent really means uh, uh, an expectation of an arrival of a notable person, and so Advent for us certainly means looking forward to the arrival of Jesus, both in his first coming at Christmas almost 2,000 years ago and his second coming in the days soon to come. You know, it's, it's in this String of Light series. We talked a lot about uh, the different lights. How many of you de- decorated your houses already? You got the trees up. Some of you, you're going to wait till Christmas Eve and go buy the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. I get, I got you. Uh, but we talked about in the string of light how, how the, the redemption story, it, we said we're unraveling the redemption story because we're following this string of light that extends from the gospel stories back into time from the very first moment of creation when God said, let there be light. And that the stories of the Old Testament aren't just a hodgepodge of stories sort of mixed together and and disconnected, but they really are all strung together, one string of light leading to the the moment of Calvary, the cross, all the strings leading to one moment of the cross in Jesus Christ. And that moment extends both back into time, affecting all of history, and now extending forward into time, affecting all of the future to come. You know, so in this moment uh, of the Christmas season, you know, they call it the season of lights. And certainly in my neighborhood, it is that as people are busting out the lights. My neighbor put up a bunch of lights on his house. He's a jerk now. I've got to put lights up because, you know, I can't be that neighbor. His house is dark. No. So how many of you out decorate the outside of your house? Do you do the outside, right? We've done that. So we, we finally, this week, we put up, we decorated inside the house. We haven't done the outside yet. We did the Christmas tree. And uh, so we did the official Christmas tree. We have the kids' Christmas tree downstairs, right, with all the handmade ornaments and all that kind of stuff. And you have the real Christmas tree that you let people look at upstairs, right? So I was in charge of getting the real tree, so I found the biggest, tallest one I could find, right? You know, show the picture of my Christmas tree. Look at the size of that thing. It's a... It's a man's tree right there. Big tree. Almost didn't fit, but we made it. That's all right. Nothing a little hacksaw can't fix. But So we haven't really got into the outside decorations thing. Um, I don't know. I've, I'm not sure that I want to get into that. But I'm inspired by people like this. Show this picture. Look at that. They start in like March, right? And they start decorating for December. Like thousands of light. Hopefully they get an, uh, an energy bill break or something on consumption. So I like this one. Lots of lights. Check out the snowman. That's a freaky snowman. Don't want to meet that one in a dark alley some night. But those are, you know, those are the guys and gals who overdo it. Like they're, you know, they're overachievers. I, I like these other ones. Show the next one. Genius. Oh my gosh. The whole house is decorated. One string. Done. Totally love that. How about the next one? I mean, just the, the concept of that. The, the brain power that went into coming up with such a unique lighting scheme. And the arrow. <laughs> Genius. So jealous of that dude. You know it was a guy, right? It's the only explanation. That was a guy. Show the next one. This is, a, this is like a redneck one. 
Enough said. All right, next one. This guy. Highest admiration for this guy. Hey, honey, go string the light. Go put the lights up. You bet. Done. Boom. Hung the lights. Love that. He did, he did hang them with care. You notice there was two hooks, you know, just in case that other one. No, you took it down already. All right, moving on. That's my cue. I love the season of lights. I think we, can, we certainly can get into the spirit of that. But, you know, the great thing about light is as we look at the scriptures, throughout all of scripture, light is a metaphor for God, for his presence, for his work throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Today's Advent reading uh, that was read was from Isaiah 9. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. To those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You know, we always leave a light on for our kids in our house. I say it's for the kids. It's really for me. But, you know, in your house, you, know, you certainly don't have to be a, a parent or have kids that, to know that leaving a light on at night sometimes is just, it's for security. It's, it's for comfort. It's for safety so you don't stub your toe on the bed or whatever, you know. And it's amazing that in our kids' rooms, when we just put this little night light, how much comfort it brings. We don't have to leave all the room lights on, but just leaving, leaving that little bit of light on somehow brings them comfort. And when the night gets dark and the dreams that are scary come, the light guides them to our room. You know? And in our house at Christmas season, it's the Christmas tree. We leave it on all night long. Totally fire hazard. But, but it guides them. It, 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 it lights their way, provides them safety in the dark night, and I don't know if you felt it, but I certainly have, but sometimes I'm walking in dark in my life, I, I can't see my next step, and confusion, and worry, and fear, and anxiousness, they, they fill my thoughts, and my emotions, and yet the promise of scripture is that Jesus is our light, that there is light in the darkness, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise, in fact, John, uh, the gospel writer, refers to Jesus as the light in John chapter 1, where we launched our series several weeks ago. As John is referring to Jesus first as the Word of God, that's another name for Jesus, he refers to him as the light. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. It goes on in verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is the Christmas story according to the gospel writer John, where Matthew, Mark, and Luke refer to Jesus' birth and the Magi and the shepherds and the angels. John goes all the way back to the beginning of time and says, listen, the Christmas story started thousands of years ago. That Jesus isn't an afterthought of God's plan, but Jesus was at the beginning with God and was God. The light was coming, John said, and truly it was, because Jesus is the light of Christmas. Jesus is the light of Christmas. As we unravel the, the string of light throughout the redemption story of the gospel, I remind you that when we talk about the redemption story, it's not just Christmas and Easter, but that this story started at the beginning of time when God, his purpose throughout all of time and history was to redeem for himself a people that would be his very own. Jesus refers to himself as the light in John chapter 8. You'll notice that the gospel writer John, throughout his writings, refers to Jesus as the light. 
But here in, in chapter 8, uh, Jesus refers to himself as the light. He says this, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of Christmas. It's, I find it interesting to, to note the context with Jesus, where Jesus is saying it and when he's saying it. He's saying this it, during the Feast of Tabernacles, a, a Jewish feast. And it's a celebration of their escape from Egypt and then being led in the, in the wilderness by the physical manifestation of God's presence through the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And the scripture that, that, this is, that it comes from is from Exodus chapter 13. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. It led them, it protected them, it separated them from the pursuing Egyptian army that was coming after them after their escape. It protected them, it warmed them. And so here at the Feast of Tabernacles, there was actually two, uh, two great ceremonies, but the, second, or the, the first one was called the Ceremony of the Illumination of the Temple. Of the, of the temple. It took place in this place called the Treasury. I don't know if we have that picture uh, it was called the treasury or, or referred to often as the court of women, but this is where offerings were taken, where people would bring their different offerings and, and, uh, and give at the temple. But in the temple, there were four great torches. They call them candelabras, but you might want to think of them more as torches because these weren't like your tabletop uh, candelabras. These were ginormous. Can I use that word? It's not biblical. It could be. These huge torches, there's four of them, one in each corner of that center area uh, of the temple, of that court there. And they were as high as the wall, so we're talking maybe 30 feet tall. And it said that the young priests would climb a ladder to light them. Now inside of the, the tops of these torches were these huge bowls, and they were filled with up to 65 liters of oil. Fire. <laughs> Right, So these guys would climb up there. I can only imagine you're lighting that thing like this. Because as soon as that oil lights, this huge blazing fire, four giant torches lighting not only the whole temple area, but probably all of Jerusalem. And because Jerusalem sits up on the top of the temple mount there, it probably could be seen for miles. And this is uh, the great ceremony illuminating the temple area. What a spectacular celebration. Uh, the, the Jewish uh, his, historical records in the Mishnah say that, that after the lighting of the torches, they partied all night and every day. No, I'm kidding. That's a song. They just partied all night. And they would dance and they would sing praises to the Lord. And oftentimes they were carrying smaller torches. And, and this went on into the wee hours of the morning but as in the morning hours, those torches, the oil had, had been all burned up, and there were just ashes and smoke at that point, and the fire had been extinguished. It was here in this moment that Jesus, coming to the temple that morning, chooses, I love, I love Jesus' timing, chooses to identify himself as the light of the world. So here in John chapter 9, the torches had been lit, they burn out. By morning time, Jesus rolls in to this court. 
And it's here that he identifies himself with this ceremony. You see, the, the torches represented <clears throat> the Shekinah glory of God. They represented God's physical dwelling and manifestation to the people of Israel through the pillar of fire that led them through the desert. This was referred to as, as the Shekinah glory. Shekinah is not a, a biblical word, but rather the rabbis took two words and they kind of put them together. The two words are this, uh, shakan and mishkan. Means a protracted dwelling in the midst of a neighborhood or a group of people. And so this word became the meaning for God's representation, physical manifestation with his people. That he chose to dwell and abide among his people. And so when darkness fell and the torches were lit, they celebrated God's physical presence leading them through the desert. But in the morning after they had burned out, here is Jesus declaring of himself, I am the light of the world. Those living in darkness or those who follow me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus was taking up the symbolism of these giant candelabras, these torches, and what they represented, the Shekinah glory of God. And he said, I am the light of the world. I will never burn out. Not like these torches. I will never burn out. I will always provide light, for I am the light of life. Could there be a more dramatic way to announce the supreme reality of who you are and focus people's attention on God's abiding and dwelling presence with his people? Jesus is the light. Notice what Christ announced concerning himself. He says, I am the light of the world. There's a couple of phrases at work there that, that really help us understand what he's saying to the people. He's saying, I am. He's referencing the name of God, Yahweh, which is introduced to us in the book of Exodus, where Moses, one of the revered uh, you know, people of Israel, their ancestor Moses, who led them out of Egypt, his first experience with the Lord is as a burning bush. And Moses says to God, well, who should I tell them is sending me? What's your name? And the Lord says, tell them the I am has sent you. I am that I am. So the Lord's name is I am. And when Jesus says I am, there is a clear reference to the person of God. Then he says, I'm the light of the world. He says, I am defined with the Shekinah glory of God. The dwelling place of God with man is in me. Do you remember the, the pillar of fire that led you through the, the desert and the wilderness? That was me. You remember the, the glory that filled the temple of Solomon? That was me. Jesus is identifying himself on the same level as God himself. This was blasphemous. That's why when Jesus says things like, if you see me, you see the Father. Never once does he say, hey, I'm a, I'm a great teacher. I'm a good prophet. He declares himself the Son of God, which is equal to God. He doesn't leave it to us to define him any other way than either God himself or he's a lunatic. But he's nothing if he's not the Son of God. 
Jesus in John 8 was not only saying he's the light of the world, but that all the benefits and comforts that came with the cloud and the fire in the wilderness came from him. That the presence of God was him. I was the one who protected you. I'm the one who guided you in the wilderness. It was I who enveloped the tabernacle. And unlike those torches, I will never go out. Such was the claim that he made. And this was the fulfillment of the prophecy that the dwelling place of God would be with man. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is the light of Christmas. God is among us in the person of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. John 1, in his writings, declares this, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's the same word as Isaiah chapter 7, made his dwelling among us. God dwelling among us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light of Christmas. The man's going to come in just a few moments. We're going to share in uh, communion together as our ushers prepare to serve us. The question for us today is, have we allowed Jesus to light our life? Have we given him that place? You know, like the people of of Israel in that ceremony, it was easy for them to celebrate what God had done, but oftentimes they forgot what God was going to do. And even when they remembered what God would do, they had it wrong. They were looking for a Messiah who would be king in a political sense. In a, in a military sense. He would come and crush the Romans and make Israel the rulers of the world over all the other people. And yet the Messiah that would come wouldn't come that way, at least not at first. See, when we sang that song this morning about he shall reign forevermore, it would start in the hearts of people. That's where God's kingdom starts. It's easy to believe in a king that would kind of be out there disconnected and and sort of, I could be anonymous, but Jesus doesn't work that way. Jesus doesn't work in anonymity. He doesn't want to be your king from a distance. He wants to be the king of your life. It's easy to come and sit in a church where God is sung about and he's kind of out there and, and we do our thing, but that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is personal. Jesus is the king who comes into your life. And you give him permission to rule and reign in your heart and in your life. And people of Israel didn't get that at first. They sort of missed it. But what about you? Would you allow Jesus to come and light your life? You know, one thing about the promise of the pillar of fire that would lead the people of Israel out of Egypt in their escape is it says it would light them as they traveled both day and night. The people of Israel had to travel at night sometimes. I'm sure it was much cooler. You ever have those moments in your life where you swear all everything has been darkened and you can't see where you're going? Like traveling at night? And yet there's the promise that Jesus will light your life, even if it seems dark to you. The darkness is not dark to him. Fix your eyes on him. Perhaps you'll decide and follow and let the presence and the dwelling of God through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit lead your life. In just a moment, we're going to take communion.
I'd love for you to reflect on that moment right now. Can you imagine what this world would be like if we all walked in the light and the leadership of Jesus? And one thing is we started our, our time with is the lighting of this candle. It's the sh- referred to as the shepherd's candle. And uh, it, it's, it's a symbol of joy and the presence of God with his people. One thing you have to understand about the shepherds, they played an important role because before the people were led out of the desert or led into the desert and the wilderness by the pillar of fire was what the Jewish people celebrated in the feast of the Passover. If you know anything about the time they spent in, in slavery in Egypt, there was 10 plagues that led the chil- to the freedom of the children of Israel. And that 10th plague was the plague of the death of the firstborn. And that plague would affect not only all of their livestock, it would also affect every human baby, firstborn of any family. And God's promise to the children of Israel is if they sacrificed a perfect, spotless, unblemished lamb and put the blood of that lamb above their doorpost of their dwelling, that the death angel, when it passed through and saw the blood on the doorpost, it would pass over their family and their firstborn would live. said that all those who obeyed, all the Israelites who obeyed, indeed saw the death angel pass over, but many in Egypt, most of the Egyptians did not, and their children, their livestock all perished in that, their firstborn. But it's in this Passover, this moment that we see the light of salvation, the promise of God's saving grace to his people. It's in the celebration of Passover and the sacrificing of a lamb every year in the fulfillment of the, of the law that for the redemption of sins there had to be sh- the uh, shedding of blood and that of a perfect spotless lamb. So once a year they would sacrifice this lamb to atone for the sin of the people. Well, in that day, the day Jesus was to be born, There happened to be some shepherds in the fields nearby in Bethlehem raising sheep. But these were not just ordinary sheep, and these weren't ordinary shepherds. You see, in Bethlehem, close to Jerusalem, where the annual sacrifice would take place, these were special shepherds. They weren't raising just sheep for anything. They were raising sacrificial sheep. It was their job, through their special training and their they're working with the priests that they would raise perfect spotless lambs for sacrifice each year so there are these shepherds in the field as the story goes and it says the angel of the lord appeared to the shepherds in the fields and so the glory of the lord shone about this angel and the shepherds were afraid and the angel said to them hello i'm kidding no Adele was not there. The angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy for all the people. Today in the city of David, a child is born who is Christ, the King, the Lord. And you will find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And it says that the the shepherds took off and they went off to Bethlehem. Do you ever wonder that the angel didn't give them any directions? There was no like Google Hey, you know, here's the address. 
how did the shepherds know in this place called Bethlehem where exactly to find this Savior, this Messiah? Because these weren't ordinary shepherds. They knew because of the prophecies of the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem that that shepherd, that, that king, would be born in a special place. And he wouldn't be in, born in any manger or feeding trough for animals. He would be born, most likely, in a place where they raised sacrificial sheep. So when the shepherds heard that the baby was lying in a manger, they didn't go and examine every manger. They went to the place where every lamb that was found to be perfect and spotless would be born. It's called the Migdal Eder, is the Jewish name for it. But it's where these special lambs are born. And it's here that Mary and Joseph had found refuge and had placed their newborn son in the manger, in the feeding troughs. And these weren't ordinary shepherds, were they? You see, one of their jobs wasn't just to raise, but to certify the perfect spotless lamb to be sacrificed. So on that day, the shepherds certified that Jesus was indeed the perfect spotless lamb. It's no wonder that John the Baptist declared in John chapter 1, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The story of the Bible isn't just a bunch of stories strung together that are disconnected. From the beginning of time all the way to the Gospels, God's plan was at work. Jesus' birth wasn't by happenstance or chance. It was that he would fulfill once and for all the final sacrifice for the sins of the world. Yours and mine. The promise of Christmas is Easter. That Christ's death once and for all would pay the price for our sin debt. It's in communion that we as a church body remember Christ's sacrifice. That it was for our redemption. And it was in that moment of Passover supper that Jesus took the bread. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He was saying that in his suffering... All of the suffering of the world, of, all, of our suffering, of humanity's suffering, our iniquity, our sickness, he would take it upon himself. And he would be broken for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your broken body. You take upon yourself our sin, our shame, our suffering, our sickness. And we thank you and remember in faith, what you did for us. Let's eat of the bread together. It's said at the close of that Passover meal that Jesus took the cup of wine and said, "This is the blood of the. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. His blood poured out for us, for the redemption of our sin, the paying of the price." of our sin debt. And Jesus was the final perfect spotless lamb to be sacrificed once and for all for all of humanity and for everyone who would believe in his name. To believe in Christ and in Christ alone would receive life and light. 
Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your shed blood that gives to us life, not just in eternity to come, but in this moment that we say, Jesus, I believe, forgive me, come and lead my life, be the light in my dark world. You come in and you give us life now. And the dream of what we thought was life fades away as we step into the new reality of who you are. And we thank you. Let's drink of the cup together. Let's close in a song together. Caleb, would you lead us? Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.